When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Life Podcast with me, Dr. Drew. Hey, everybody, welcome to uh, This Life, hashtag you live. We appreciate you being a part of the show. We appreciate our sponsors. Please support them, Social CBD today. We recommend that product, so it is Dr. Drew approved. You've all heard the testimonials. Clinical science not there yet, but there's really some good stuff going on. To learn more, go to drdrew.com slash social CBD. Again, S-O-C-I-A-L-C-B-D, drdrew.com slash social CBD. And for a limited time, you get 20% with checkout with code Dr. Drew. So check it out. Uh, I'll tell you more about that during the break, but right now I want to welcome my guest. It is Dr. Gary Donovitz. He's the chairman of BioTeam Medical. He's a board-certified gynecologist, obstetrician, with, uh, has a passion for wellness, and this is, a, this is a whole topic that I've wanted to address for quite some time because I'm sort of passionate about it myself. His leadership is exemplified in the BioTeam Medical LLC, a company he founded, and it's uh, changing healthcare through bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. We have some testimonials. We have lots of things to get at. But I just want to welcome to the show. Thanks for and having me. You've got a book that people can talk about if they want to. They can get to if they want to. If they you know have more to learn or they don't get everything they want from our little conversation today. It's called Age Healthier, Live Happier. This is for men and women. Yes, and you can get it on Amazon. It's easy. Great. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. How did you get involved with this? Well, it actually started with one patient who was in menopause uh, after a hysterectomy. We could not get her hormones optimized, bioidentical hormones, creams, patches. How long, how long ago was this? This was back in 2005, and we so, tried forever. So 2005, I'm, I'm going to bet what happened was uh, very quickly people started going, I think she's depressed, I think we're trying to depress on, and all those kind of stuff. Immediately people were going to that very quickly. Exactly. She was on antidepressants. Right. From somebody else, right. we couldn't get her hormones optimized, even using bioidenticals. But I would argue, pills. I would argue that your your, your non gynecological peers were probably uncomfortable even with her taking hormone replacement therapy. In addition to not looking at that as the solution to her problem, exactly that was she the was bias. Only three then. years after WHI, yeah. so everybody was scared of hormones. Okay, so explain that 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 nightmare that was the World the Women's Health Initiative, which was a horrific study, and we all knew it. But go ahead to explain what was happening then. Well, so they you, they took a billion dollars of your tax money. They had a study with only two drugs from one pharmaceutical company. In a, in a certain age bracket, a very a cer- narrow age bracket. Well, and the average age was 63.5. Mm-hmm. So if you think about women in menopause, the average age is around 50 or 51, and they're using synthetic hormones, and they're taking them orally. And there this was, was in this study. In this study, this is how they did it. Yeah. Right. And there were so many side effects, and then they stopped the study. And by the way, the oral hormones then were essentially derivatives of horse urine. Right. 
Pre- that's why the pregnant mare. Marin. It yeah. was it was from the mare. Pregnant mares. Pregnant mares. Prime Marin. So they actually took the pregnant mare, got the urine, yeah. got the hormones from them, but they were nowhere near the same hormone that right. a woman's made her whole life. Right. So you would expect older people, you know, 11, 12, 13 years after menopause, taking a synthetic hormone to have a lot of side effects. <coughs> and indeed and, they did. And side effects and to maybe potentially miss the window for full benefits. In exactly. Words, they were looking at weird endpoints about bone density and, and dementia and things like that. And I, and I clinically, it just, it, all of us, it, was, it flew in the face of what we were seeing. I had, I had patients in their 80s and 90s that had been a hormone replacement Usually the estradiol, right? Not the Premarin. Right. Uh, it, since forever. And I noticed their cognition seemed to be superior. Their risk of vascular events seemed to be better. And what we were all told at the time was, if you believe that, you're a witch doctor because you were seeing too small a sample. We have this huge sample. You have to go with the science as it is. So we all did at the time. Even though we all were skeptical, we all went with the science at the time. Well, so 80% of doctors and patients quit taking their hormones. That's what happened. And then when you started looking, and there's a great study out there that looked at how many women died because they didn't get estrogen. It's tens of thousands. And mostly, was it related to hip fractures or what was the outcome? Well, there's a number, heart and hip. Because you no longer are protecting the heart. Everybody's always known that estrogen protected the heart. Well, they claim no. They claimed in that study no. Well, they were mostly worried about cerebral vascular events. But, right. but, they, but the implication was what we thought about vascular protection doesn't apply. Exactly. Oh, but God. one in seven women die from heart disease premenopausally. Yeah, and yeah. that's because of the testosterone. We'll get right. to that later. Yeah. But when you look at what happens when a woman loses estrogen, it's one in three. So we have to figure out what happened here. We have 13 years for the heart to deteriorate. And remember, plaque formation started when you were a child. Sure. So you're giving another 10 or 15 years of plaque formation, and then you put them on a synthetic hormone, and then you say, oh, that's a problem. Well, the problem is it was oral. Everything oral, all of the oral hormones increase inflammation. Non-oral would have never happened. Increased inflammation. You're talking about intimal in the lining of the arteries or or, or endothelial inflammation? No, your inflammatory markers, which then inflame the lining of the arteries and then lay down plaques. So So, that's a problem. endothelial and intimal inflammation. So the inner lining and the next lining of of the arteries, which is a – inflammation for me is a complicated topic. Um, I – Again, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too deep. We can, if we can help. The, the idea we all agree is to limit inflammation. Absolutely, that, that is a that is a goal. Uh, per, let me just give my personal bias. I, I believe personally more will be made of the insulin story when it pertains to inflammation as we go forward. You agree with that? I do. Yeah, and, and there's other things, of course, that add to it as well. But I, I, I just, I just feel that coming, particular for people with metabolic syndrome, which is like me. I have my weight here. I have hypertension. I have cholesterolemia. Um, what's the third piece? Uh, fat distribution, insulin resistance, and right. so people like me get 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 insulin trouble, and the, it may be part of the inflammatory story. Oh, it's absolutely part because yeah, yeah. because you get generalized inflammation when you have insulin resistance. Yeah, yeah. And what caused the insulin resistance is what we need to talk about at some point. But go nonetheless, ahead. Go let's, ahead. let's do it right now. Let's do it right now. Yeah. What do you say? Because for me, I think it is. Um, it's a syndrome. I have I have metabolic syndrome, and correcting that with proper diet and stuff like that reduces all that. Exactly. That's one source. That's one part. Yeah. So your diet's important. Your exercise yeah. is important. However, if you think about it, in both men and women, as you started losing testosterone, which occurs in most men in their mid-30s, mm-hmm. you become more insulin resistant. There's no question. There's multiple studies to show that testosterone is an <sighs> insulin sensitizer. Ugh. 
I would love to take testosterone. So here's the thing. I have you a complicated could, question about it, though. Go ahead. Here's the thing. It, here's the thing. If you could get rid of your insulin resistance, which would help you with your dyslipidemia, which would help with your belly it, fat. It, it does. Not that you have that much belly No, fat. no. I've adjusted everything. And it, everything's better. And you would Cutting do better with your exercise because yeah, you'd have more energy yep, and yep. all those things. And sleep you'd sleep better. better. Yep. So all those things. I, I, I am here to test. I've done. Susan, if you, our producer, if you want to mention the podcast we have done on this topic. Uh, with Vinny and with Dave Feldman, we, we've gone into this in some other podcasts. If you can maybe refer people to those, but we go do some detailed work on this area. So, 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 anyways, back back to this patient. She she can't get optimized on her hormones because yeah. you can't optimize just using a one one pony for everything. You and can't this just have your, one. This pill. is your patient zero. This, this is, is my patient zero, and so she actually moved away from the Dallas area and moved to Arizona and got pellets. And she called me and she said, you know what? I'm taking these hormone pellets and it's changed my life. It's actually saved my marriage because I was fixing to get divorced and I'm on antidepressants. I'm on diet pills. I don't feel like exercising. My life has been horrible. In fact, I don't even want to go to work. And now I've got this great job. My marriage is great. I'm off my antidepressants. I've held this energy and I look completely different. I feel complete. You should check this out. And she's on testosterone, progesterone, and estrogen, all three. Exactly. So I said, let me check it out. So I checked it out. And actually the person who gave her those hormones and I became partners um, mm. because we really felt like versus just teach physicians how to do this, why not partner and create a network? Because we determine the standard of care as physicians. It's yeah, not yeah. the FDA. It's not well, the government. We, we, but it's, it's, for people understand, the, the guidelines protect us legally, but they don't restrict us to those guidelines. So we can, if we think something's better for the patient, we are at our liberty to do it. Right. And so that's why we thought maybe if we had enough physicians trying to change healthcare, doing this, and a number of uh, patients who were benefiting, that would be great. So that's what we did. So how is, is, your, is BioT different than the pellets that people think of as the bioidentical pellets that are out there? Well, it's not just the pellets because you can buy pellets on the Internet. So there are different kinds of pellets, different quality of pellets. For us, all of our pellets are independently lab tested. Okay. It's important because – we don't take any pellets that are not within 3% of the dose. So, so in so, terms of purity, we know what's in our pellets. So we BioT is essentially a program. Yes. Not so much a product. It's not a product it's at a all. Program. It's, it's a program. It's a method of hormone optimization. We have a Got proprietary it. dosing site that's based on 30 years of patient experience. It has 4 million permutations in it. It looks at your demographics. It looks at your laboratory. It looks at your symptoms. It looks at your medical history. Do you have metabolic syndrome? Do you have hypertension? Do you have breast cancer? Do you have prostate cancer? Do you have all these things? And it depends on your age, and it depends on your weight. And so there's a number of things that go into how do we individually optimize your hormones. I'm dying to do your program, but I'll tell you what. Let me tell you my complex story. So I have prostate cancer, uh, six years, almost seven years post-prostatectomy, have a measurable PSA, and it's been drifting up from barely measurable to just measurable. So uh, I'm aware of the deficiency of testosterone. I can tell. I, I'm just acutely aware of it. Um, I've uh, gone to my uh, urological oncologist and said, whatever happens here, I am not going on androgen receptor blockade because I know I'll get the dementia from it. I can tell right. it affects my cognition. So he said, that'll never happen. Don't worry about that. Um, but I am staring down radiation, right? Uh, what should I do in terms of bio Is there a possible ability for me or should I wait till after that's all completed? Well, it depends. So if, if you don't have disseminated 
prostate cancer. If it's if it's localized prostate cancer, sure it is. once they've treated the well, that's prostate, what I'm figuring. Once right. it's treated, it's then over. I would go on because here's the thing. Once what, I have zero point zero on the PSA, then what's most likely to kill you in the long run is your heart. Many other things. And what is most likely to rob you of your quality of life, especially in your business? So you're, you have all this 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 energy, and yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're you're valuable to a lot of people. Is your cognition? Yeah, you need testosterone for your cognition. Your yeah. heart needs testosterone for protection. The prostate is very unlikely uh, to be an aggressive prostate cancer. No, I, have, I have a low grade. Because low it's grade. low grade. But it's gotten out. You know, I've got to deal with it. But let's talk about that. Because right. Morgan right. Teller at Harvard, he took a number of males like you. Mm. Who with said, prostate cancer. With prostate cancer. Who did not want to have surgery. They didn't want to ejaculate into their bladder. They didn't want to have ED. They didn't want to have surgery. Because okay. the record, I got none of that with the surgery. So you can, you can still have that surgery done and not oh, have yeah. the problem. But they were people that just. Decline surgery. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just a personal choice. No, people get freaked out about it. So they went to see him. He put them on testosterone pellets. Yeah. And in two years, more than half the tumor was gone. Well, that's true of low-grade tumors generally. The, the, a third go away, a third get better, a third get worse, right. right? And so at least it didn't adversely affect the general course, right? Correct. Um, I'd love to see that paper. I'd love to read that paper. So please, if you can get that for me. Um uh, it's still, you know, it's unsettling and scary and stuff like that uh, to have this smoldering around. Sure. Uh, but my, in my heart of hearts, when I had my, when I had my prostatectomy, I sat down, told the surgeon, I said, in five years, you're going to put me on testosterone replacement. Well, here I am now, six years out, because I, I was aware. I'm aware that it's, you're. It, I, I just, I've always been a fan of hormone replacement therapy for women, and why shouldn't men be replaced, at least to the extent that we're not overshooting or causing adverse events? Well, and the urologist that I train, yeah. and, and I train them across the country, they would say once you've had your prostatectomy, once your prostate yeah. cancer is treated yeah. and your PSA is negligible, we treat. We don't wait five years. We yeah. don't wait one year. But mine's not negligible. Mine's kind of, it's negligible it's, it's and increased. Trending yeah, out. So when you get that treated, then I would absolutely that's, recommend. That's what I'm see. See, as I'm listening to my friend here. Bio T is where I'm going to go. Um, I don't know if my UCLA team will sit still for that, but maybe you'll have trained them in the meantime. Some of this stuff. So there's so much benefit for the male. So let's stay with the male for a second. It, obviously, muscle mass. Obviously, libido, vitality, cognition cardiovascular health, all this stuff. Now, how far out do we have the studies to show the continued improvement? That's the the part I've always wondered about. If we kind of know it's good, it's it's very much like my CBD stuff, which is we kind of know this stuff working. The weeds aren't fully worked out yet. Am I right about that? Well, it depends. So in terms of pellet therapy on women, we've got 80 years yeah, of, yeah. of data. No, I got On that. men, yeah. for us, we've been treating men for more than 10 years now. Um, and we, we have data, whether it's complication data, we have that. What we see is there's a reduction in cardiovascular disease that's sustainable. What we see is... Cerebr- cerebrovascular? So... In terms of side effects, we don't have any increased risk in, in stroke. We don't have any increased risk in DBTs on pellet therapy. And that's been true of okay. multiple studies. So, so that, that belies the question, how do you determine a target level for a given male? Because we're, our normal ranges are all over the place. Exactly. So much like it is in females, we found at BioT, we sort of have a sweet spot on uh, testosterone levels. So most serum, people... Serum testosterone? Serum free, testosterone. Free testosterone? And free. What's the number? So for men, it's going to be 900 to 1,100 on really? the total. That high? Yes. Because that, that's the, a, above 800 sort of surprises me. Here's why, though. Right. As you get older, not yeah. that you're old, no, as, you, old. as oh. you get older, your sex hormone binding globulin, that's that protein that binds up testosterone, goes up naturally. No matter what you do, it still goes up. 
As that goes up, it binds up your testosterone. As you mentioned, the free testosterone is the more important. We want the free testosterone above the median. Which is? Depends on the lab. That one moves around. So for like CPL labs, it's 15.5. For Quest labs, it's 95.5. So you have to know your lab, which is fine. But the more important thing is you get it above the median. So 15 sounds high to me too. No. 15 is a free testosterone. We want it, We actually take it higher than that. Mm. And we do that safely. Because for men, you have a big, very wide standard deviation before you even have to worry about side effects. So I'm going to ask you a maybe provocative question, maybe a fair question. Do you take it? Yes. Okay. And I'm sure you've noticed differences. Yes. Yeah. And so you have to think about it. So for jealous. guys, it's so, so it, it, it's so easy. <laughs> and you, you, your side effects that I know you want to talk about yeah. are minimal on the male side. Yeah. So you're going to have Has a your little. your balding gotten worse? No. I, so so. I had that before. Th- that's thanks for noticing that's that. <laughs> but that's what people worry about. So are, are we sort of, we're sort of, we've sort of slogged through the male, right? We've sort of said most we need to say about males or more. It's all up to you. Well, no, please. There are more you wish to say about the males. Well, I think males... I've, I've had my, my question, personal questions answered. My questions for my patients are sort of clear in my head. What else do you want us to know? Well, the male side, again, is is very safe. So you don't have to... A lot of people with hormone replacement therapy, they get caught up in the in the risk. And, and what I do is well, travel but that's, around... But that's us, right? That's we're supposed to... That's risk-benefit ratio and always every therapeutic decision, right? Exactly. But we got to decide what are those risks yeah, yeah, because... That's why we'll I asked you about the time frame, right? I want to know 10 years. I want to know 20 years what the risk is so I can make my decision. Right. So if you know, let's just take them kind of in order of yeah. your, your brain function. People always think about Alzheimer's disease as something that occurs in old people. The reality is beta amyloid, that super glue substance, gets laid down in the brain in your 30s. Mm-hmm. Cognitive decline starts in your 30s. Hey, guess what else starts in your 30s? Testosterone starts declining. Yeah. So for us, timing is everything. Why do you want to wait till you're 70 to start hormones when your brain's been declining for 40 years? It's the same with the heart. Plaque formation starts in the heart in single digits when you were 6 or 10. You're an internist, so you know more than me about that. Why do you want to wait till you're 50 to start treating the inflammation, start treating the plaque? So that's another thing. Same with your insulin resistance. Why not get there earlier to the party? Twenty percent of osteoporosis is in males. Yeah. So why that, not that, protect your bones? That, once we work out that insulin story, it may be the bigger story. Right. Once you know that, I agree. But we don't. We don't really fully get it yet. Uh, all right. So I'm. I'm sort of persuaded uh, that that's that's a interesting thing, an important thing. Again, we're always trying to make risk benefit ratio analysis in, in our field, and do no harm is something that's drilled into my head. And, uh, uh, you know, it's funny when, when it comes to do no harm, I remember back to the, when the women's health initiative came out, do no harm was, was ringing loud in my head right. in the sense that bringing these women off the hormones was going to do harm in spite of the science. It was a really difficult thing to navigate. So, uh, what I did at the time was I relied on my collaboration with the patients. I said, look, here's the science as we understand it. I'm being told that I have to follow the science and the evidence, which I always try to do, something doesn't isn't right. What is what would you like to do? What would you like to hear more about the science? How would you like to proceed? And many women just said, Don't even think about it. Don't get near me. Right. I'm going through. Well, yeah. I, when I talk, go around the country and talk, I always tell people, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. So you have preconceived notions about hormones as a physician, but the sure. patient has preconceived notions. They're worried about cancer. So my question is, what if, right. what if estrogen didn't cause cancer? Oh, but I thought it caused breast cancer. But what if we could reduce breast cancer with hormones? That's a completely new subject for, for women. So it's a, but, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a 
frame shift. It's a frame shift. Yeah. Well, yeah. what if what if hormones didn't cause bre- uh, heart attacks? What if hormones didn't cause strokes? What if they didn't cause blood clots? Oh, but I always heard they did. But what if it wasn't true? And so that becomes then very important because then they would say, well, then maybe we should talk about it because I don't want to get breast cancer. Because here's when patients say this. Patients always say, I don't want to take hormones because they cause breast cancer. That's what you heard. But what I heard was, I don't want to take, if I don't take hormones, I won't get breast cancer. Mm. But that's clearly not true. And you can look at the data, even in WHI, Women's Health Initiative, those people who never took hormones, right? Yeah. They actually had 300 breast cancers per 100,000 women years. They had a very high risk. Right. And, and so I, what I would tell the patients back then was my hunch is, much like with prostate cancer, my hunch is that the hormones may make your cancer. It's called. It's actually was. A, it has a name. It's called the oh, Will Rogers effect. It's called the Will Rogers effect, which is that if you take something that stimulates tumor growth for a period of time, it will look like during that time interval you're actually causing more cancer. It's called the Will Rogers effect. Association and, versus causation. It, it, exactly. And so and so rather than it causing, it's causing an accelerated ability to detect because of growth-enhancing effects, which is a legitimate worry with breast cancer, if that's really happening. And I worry about that with prostate cancer, too, right? So we've already had that conversation. Um, but I always would tell the patient, that I have a hunch it doesn't cause breast cancer. That was my hunch. And you're, you're now the studies, that hunch. Now yeah. the studies have shown that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Perfect sense. Um, shall we take a little break? Is it about that time? Because we've got a lot more to get to. Thank you to Dr. Gary Donovitz, chairman of BioT Medical. Uh, is there a website or something people should go to if they have any questions? BioTmedical.com. Okay, B-I-O-T-E. B-I-O-T-E medical.com. Um, he, Dr. Donovitz and I did not have any conversation before this. I, I'm worried that people are going to think this is like some kind of infomercial because I'm so enthusiastic about this stuff. He and I did, had met, sat down, had this conversation. So I already had this bias in my head in terms of my enthusiasm for this kind of thing. Uh but I'm going to show you a case example after the break why my enthusiasm is um, pretty high. Don't go away. Let's talk about CBD. It's, of course, everywhere today. It's a hot topic, and I get asked about it all the time. Bottom line, although there are way more claims, there is very little clinical evidence just yet. The science is lagging behind, but many people are using it and reporting anecdotally very good results. I want to first define exactly what we're talking about here. CBD or cannabidiol is an extract from hemp. And while you might associate it with marijuana, CBD is the non-high, non-rewarding component of hemp. And it's responsible for other effects, calming, sleep, not high. Now, about the products. There are a ton of them out there today. Forget the vast array of reported health benefits. It's important to be aware of what you're buying. I was recently introduced to a company called Select CBD, an Oregon-based company that focuses on high-quality ingredients and manufacturing standards, no hype. Their CBD-based products are available in a wide range of formulations and flavors, each of which is clearly described to you so you can make an informed decision without promises that seem too good to be true. Like I said, the reported benefits of CBD are compelling, and I'm excited to see how things develop with the science as this booming industry gets going. So if you want to try CBD, you might check out Select CBD. To learn more, go to drdrew.com slash select. That is my site, drdrew.com slash S-E-L-E-C-T. For a limited time, you can save 25% at checkout with the code DRDREW. All right, everybody, we are back, of course, uh, with uh, Dr. Gary Donovitz. We're talking about BioT, pellet hormone replacement therapy program, hormone replacement therapy generally, and you know how 
this is and this is a it's a field I've had my eye on for a long time for the reasons we've been discussing so far, but it's something that um, I've noticed our peers are sort of behind on. And when when I look for somebody to do hormone replacement therapy, it's hard to find somebody who's properly trained for it. I mean, I'm glad to know now that as a program that I can say find somebody who's bio T trained, right? That's what I'd look for, right? Right. Yeah. Because we and, certify people. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, and and uh, now that's a nice resource for me because I can then say look for that and go go ahead. Um, but it's interesting how sort of mixed and confusing the landscape can be. Um, both both you and I are enthusiasts. There are other people out there that are very concerned about this. Right. Um, and for, for many reasons, uh, it, it's, a, it's a complicated biology. It's a complicated history in terms of the clinical scientific publications that have been out. But um, – I, I want to give people. I, I want to, people to understand. You're talking to two enthusiasts about this. You may want to do your own research on it and see what you think. I always encourage patients to do that. Um, I, you know, I, I believe I'm reading the literature properly. You're obviously deeply into this. Um, one of the reasons I'm an enthusiast for this is my own wife found her way to the pellet therapies. And she is now our producer, and Susan Pinsky, thank you for joining us. Hello, everyone. So tell your story. So I was suffering with perimenopause probably at 42 oh can i can i jump into your story because i i'm gonna embellish. yeah you start it Why okay so it? so she had she had uh, a fertility campaign she had uh, triplets she went through a hyperstimulation syndrome with her ovaries uh who knows what that does to ovarian function after the uh, i mean they they treat women like incubators on the fertility side and really and then goodbye and so on my bed is she, her, her family history is early menopause like 30s and 40s my bed is she's having perimenopause in her late 30s and now, i have one ovary right she only had one ovary to begin with uh and she had a hyperstimulation of that ovary and had to be on bed rest for weeks and all this it worked stuff. though it did its trick it did its job uh and the um, – where was I going with this? My perimenopause said oh, it. Oh, was that, of course, we had triplets, and that was stressful and, you know, mood and whatever. And so she started talking about depression back then, which was normal for what we were going through when we were trying to raise Major triplets. Major anxiety. Anxiety, depression, all that stuff. But we were in, we were in battle mode. <laughs> we, were, we were in a war zone trying to raise three babies. Now, she came out of that later 30s, still kind of like not right. Didn't want to uh, have sex. D- there was a little libido drop and some vitality drop and some fatigue. And, 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 and periodically, you'd go on antidepressants. Is that accurate? No, I went to therapy. Therapy. And therapy. then because I got really depressed. And then I was taking antidepressants. Well, Butrin, my favorite. And, um, and that was – I was still having problems with my libido. Even on, even on Wobutrin, which is one of the ones that doesn't cause that, right. that side But effect. I thought it was just because I was tired. And he would come in like, oh, we haven't had sex in two weeks. And I was like, really? Already? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. She didn't miss it. That's for sure. <laughs> and uh, it, it wasn't just because I'm an asshole. <laughs> it wasn't just that. <laughs> well, I had three kids. I was tired, yeah. you know? And, and listen, we were in parenting mode, to right. be fair. And we were trying to focus on our relationship, but we were, parenting was the priority one, right? And uh, And I went on birth control. And that try, helped. Yes, a and little bit. Helped. And that helped a bit. So that, I bet that's a common story, too, people taking oral contraceptive pills to try to accommodate some of these same symptoms. Tell us about that. Well, so the, the birth control would help 
with these hormone swings and sometimes with your mood swings, um, they can make things better and they can also make things worse right. because what happens with birth control pills is they increase uh, that protein that binds up testosterone. So a lot of women, particularly younger women who take birth control, their sex drive actually goes down. So well, it's, it's a double-edged gonna, sword. And I want to be critical of, of the gynecological community. They do not warn women about the side effects of progestational, these high-dose progestational agents, which right. are, uh, again... You can check out the Dr. Drew podcast, uh, Andrew Goldstein. We did two, three podcasts with him about this issue. And some of these women, after being on these high-intensity progestational agents, never regain their libido. And it's and it's it's a deep concern to me that that isn't made more of. Well, here's the thing: the the synthetic progesterones. People think that they work just like bioidentical progesterone, right. but they don't. What no. they actually do is land right on the testosterone receptors, yeah. so the testosterone can't work. It's actually the way they cause breast cancer, which is a whole long story we probably won't get to today. But synthetic progesterones are bad, and they're bad let's, for let's you. Let's be careful with those too sweeping a statement. They're a concern. How about that? They're a concern. Yeah, they're a concern. You talk to your doctor. I, I like birth control pills. Don't get me wrong. They're one of the best ways for some birth people. Control. Some women get more higher libido on the high dose progesterones too. They some. do because they land on the testosterone that's receptor right. and that's actually right. stimulate. That's it. for You're some, right. but that's a small group. That right. Most of them get shut down. So. Exactly. Uh, and, so and, and it, it is complicated. That's why you need a physician to manage these things, and you have to, you know, talk to your doctor about it. It's not just understanding the biology the way Doctor Doctor Donovitz is explaining it. That doctor has to have had experience with this stuff. They have I to did see talk it, to my doctor. It. Do you remember what he said? Yes. Okay, so I went into the doctor. This was years later, and I said, listen, my husband wants sex all the time, and I just don't want it. I don't care. And I, I love him, and I know he needs it, and I want to do it, but it's just like so much work. And he goes, <laughs> so much work. Well, you know what? In, in We do in Europe, you know, you could just let your husband get a mistress. <laughs> this was his recommendation. And he was serious, and I looked at him, and I go, well, that's not going to happen. Like, what the hell? Just give me some pills. Jeez. So he gave me this concoction of, like, progesterone and estrogen, and he, he gave me this little combination of pills that I had to take it, on it a regular worked. basis. It actually worked it a did, little bit. It did, but if I forgot it one day, I would go into full, hormone, full hot flashes, hot flashes yeah. like, just couldn't wake and, up. And the key, is, and the key is no testosterone in that mix. Right. Okay. The other so, problem is those pills that you were taking were giving you big spikes, and then they're gone. Big right. spikes and yep. gone. And yep. then yep. 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 I think my hair fell out. I don't know. No, no, not yet. The hair okay. <laughs> but anyway, so I changed doctors um, immediately, and then um, I got a new one, and she was good and gave me the cocktail of choice. And then so she got so then the, the pellets pills. were started. Right? No, no, no. Oh, then that I took that for like five years. The pills. Yes. Ah. And then one day my friend found out about bioidenticals, and that doctor happened to be in the same office. So I said, sign me up because it sounds really fantastic. And I went in, and my life was changed. But I was about 50 by then. And and I will tell you what I found most interesting as a physician about her response is she was pissed. I was. She was pissed. She was like, A – They've been telling me I'm depressed. You almost I, got a mistress. <laughs> it was almost. I wasn't pissed, but <laughs> so, but she was pissed, and she was like, "This." I was told I was depressed. The depression is completely gone with proper hormone therapy. Yes. So I clearly I was depressed, but the diagnosis was wrong. It wasn't a major depressive episode. It was depression related to hormone imbalance. Number one, number two, and I don't even want to speak to this. But we haven't really talked about this in a long time. She said, I feel like a part of myself was dead and is alive now. Like a part of me is back. We, we get that a lot. And then what – I wouldn't say pissed. But so this is why but, I'm enthusiastic but, but, about this. But, but, but here's – She here's, was pissed. But here, I was 
Okay, she was pissed. Am, am but, I stating it correctly? Yes. Is that but here's thing? why women are really mad afterwards. It's like, you know what? I lost, you said 42 earlier, so that means you lost eight years of your life. And that's a big problem because eight. women are not going to get that eight years back. Now you feel great and you're like, if only more people knew about this. I could have got those eight years and mm-hmm. had a great marriage instead of having a mistress or whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, it we, doesn't it, make it, sense. It, it, we had a great marriage. It was not, it was not, it, it was, you know, she was trying to optimize and improve things, but it was not an issue in terms of like threatening our marriage. But maybe I should be pissed. <laughs> now that you put it that way, I think I'm pissed. <laughs> so, well, you kind of lost your wife for eight years. Not, that works. not the way I got her back. Longer that's for sure. because I was bad after they were born. I was a few years, you know. I, I don't know. It wasn't. It's hard to know what happened in those first five years of, of triplet I just wish they would have taken a blood draw and looked at it, my hormones. It, they wouldn't have done anything. You understand? They wouldn't have done anything. Perimenopausal, well, that's a good topic. Perimenopause doesn't right. really show up on blood work, so go ahead. Right, so we're we're not looking at at um, at blood work in perimenopausal women. Women start losing testosterone at mid twenties, and that's when all those symptoms occur. You're tired, you don't sleep well, your sex drive goes down, you're gaining weight across the midsection, just like like you did. And so here's the thing about that: all these symptoms, brain fog, you can't remember. We went in your mm-hmm. kid's room for something, and you don't even know why you went in there. And so, with all that being said, people are looking for a lab test to confirm this diagnosis, but it's a clinical syndrome. It it's something that occurs in most women in their mid-20s to late-20s. And because it's a clinical syndrome, we have to treat the patient. We have to optimize those hormones that are missing. We have to do it so that the symptoms get better. And sometimes it's thyroid also, which we do at BioT. So mm-hmm. we do thyroid, testosterone, estrogen, the whole thing. But we don't treat to a lab test because it's not the lab that's in error. It's the patient who's having symptoms, and you can't just call the patient and leave a voicemail. Susan, your testosterone level is great. I would say, how do you know that? Because I need to talk to Susan and say, how are you feeling? Right. So, well, I feel amazing or I don't. If you don't feel amazing, then I need to do something different. And that takes a doctor that knows how to do that. So, right. Sure. And, and and I always use the blood test to sort of guidelines like to to they sort of guide my comfort i think more than anything like if we're getting to high levels of stuff i get uncomfortable even if they're not feeling right you we know no, we do that too so yeah. if the levels are too high even yeah. if they feel amazing well if they feel, don't feel amazing so that's feel, when that's when i'm like oh, i'm still worried about going higher right right we yeah. don't want to go higher because right. then your side effects are higher right there's something else going on and yeah, they won't stay on out. so right. she had she, had, she <laughs> got her dad had Meryl and balding she got it's some a of little that thin in the back but it's, yeah. it's coming back and she but but what's interesting about women that lose their hair with as a side effect they feel so great. They're like, fine. I'll, I'll deal with. Yeah, I'll deal with this. They don't want to let it go. <laughs> yeah, right. we we actually look at that, and we have a way of treating that and actually preventing that. So we would we would take somebody losing hair if it was because of the testosterone or because of the hormones. Then we would lower that dose after we treated the hair loss. So that way, you don't have to deal with that in the long term. But most of the side effects for women are minimal, which is why on pellet therapy, and we've actually studied this now, we have a 10-year study we're about to publish, not only are the complications few, 95% of people stay on pellet therapy. You can't say that about any other hormone replacement period. In fact, back in WHI days when we were using Premarin and PrimPro, 50% off in one year. So how do you protect your brain, your heart, your bones, the things that hormones were supposed to protect if you're not going to take them? So if half of you come off of your hormones... There's no protection at all. At least right. we know with pellet therapy and hormone optimization, 95% stay on it. 
Now, the other side effect I have heard in women who are relative non-responders, and I'm, I suspect you're going to have a, a good answer for this, uh, but there's, I've, I've sent some patients for not bio-T but just pellet therapy, and they've come back with, oh, I didn't really feel different. I didn't really affect my libido. My husband complains I'm more aggressive. Right. So let's talk about – there's actually two questions in your one question. Yeah. Uh, in terms of aggression – too high of a level of testosterone in women can make you aggressive. Men too. And men too. Too low of levels of estradiol, female hormone, in men, when they take pills to lower their estrogen and the estrogen goes to zero, they will become aggressive. It's actually more than the high testosterone. So for us, we want both in the sweet spot. Right? That's crazy. So we want to have your testosterone in a sweet spot. We want the estradiol for you in a sweet spot. How do, you, how do you enhance that or optimize that? So we, we actually have a number we're looking for in, on the estradiol level. Yeah. So if you're, if you're an aromatizer, meaning you take testosterone and then that converts to estrogen, we can block that. With, a, with one of the With an astrozole, right. Yeah. So it's easy and we know how to do that. And we yeah. train the physicians. Now, if you don't know how to do that and a male's estrogen level goes up, you're going to be just like Susan. You're yeah. never going to well, want to have sex. Your, your <laughs> nipples are going to hurt too. Your nipples are going to yeah. hurt. You're going to grow man boobs. Yeah. And so that's not going to cause you to want to stay on testosterone. How about if you're like in a mildly elevated estradiol? Right. So mildly elevated, we actually use a nutraceutical, like a vitamin. It's called DIM, dienomethane. Oh, that's, that's what I figured you were going to say. And now, there's been some energy around DIM lately as a as a anti-aging product. Just right. generally men should go on DIM. It's been lately in the vapors. So. Every, every bio-T patient that gets pellets, female or male, goes on. We actually don't use just DIM. We have a new product which has DIM in it. It also has pomegranate extract mm-hmm. in it. Um, and what it does is it eliminates, because testosterone has to go somewhere. It yeah. can't just float around your bloodstream forever. So it gets converted to estrogen and then down through the estrogen pathway. There's a really good estrogen pathway that actually reduces cancer, whether it's prostate cancer in your case or whether it's breast cancer in Susan's case or for women and both of those things occur because DIM actually allows for the DNA to repair. Oh, if you don't take DIM, you go down this other pathway, which we don't need to get all that technical, but that pathway causes DNA damage. When you damage the DNA, you actually increase your risk for prostate cancer. You ac- increase women's risk for, for breast cancer. So DIM is a very important product. It's also an aromatase inhibitor, so a mild one. So as you said, if my estradiol was a little high, yeah. what would I take? That's what you would take because I don't want to overcorrect. I'm milling around the idea that most, if not all men, at least should be on DHEA and DIM. Right. Is that your feeling? Well, I don't need as much of the DHEA because um, if you think about the adrenal gland, adrenal fatigue, which is a real thing, occurs because of the testosterone deficiency. Once I fix that, the adrenal gland is super smart, and it will repair itself. So sometimes you need DHEA, but it's not the panacea. Now, DEM is different. Everybody that gets testosterone, because it has to metabolize, should be on DEM, no question. How about um – this is a completely ancillary question, but I'm thinking about all the anti-aging stuff that's out there now. Uh, do you guys recommend metformin, or do you get into all that? No, we, we I like metformin, particularly in PCOS patients who have genetic right. insulin resistance. Right. Right, right, right. Well, so many doctors tell these, I just take progesterone, and yeah. then your periods will be better. Yeah, yeah. But that's not the whole thing. For yeah. women who have PCOS, even if you're done mm-hmm. with periods, even if you're in menopause, you still have genetic insulin resistance. I, I've always been a little uncomfortable with what the, is PCOS? Oh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Oh, okay. Uh, and I've always been long, sorry, I've, and, and uh, DHEA is a 
testosterone precursor, essentially. Right. It helps enhance testosterone production. Uh, and um, I've always been a little uncomfortable with the prescribing of metformin for the thin PCOS patients. That has seemed weird to me. I know a lot of guys do it, I, I, and literature is sort of favoring that these days, but it's always felt uncomfortable to me. <laughs> well, well, the nice thing is, in fact, we just are starting a study at BioT, which is going to be amazing. There's not one study that's ever been done on women and insulin resistance with testosterone, mostly because since the FDA has never approved it for anything other than hypoactive sexual dysphoric disorder, which is a little weird because testosterone has so many other benefits. But the cool thing about this study is going to be we're going to show, because we've already seen it, that in women – testosterone is also an insulin sensitizer. So in the thin PCOS patient, the thin patient with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is one of the most common endocrine abnormalities in women, yep. we could now treat them with something that is easier to take than metformin because metformin is going to give you some GI upset, diarrhea, and all that can. And you got to take it three times hunger. a day. And, and hunger. hunger. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, three times a day? Is that what they're requiring? Yeah. 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 So it's, I think for know. the aging, it's once or twice a day. But I don't know. I'm not an expert in that area at all. Okay, so uh, we also have other testimonials from some of your actual patients. Um, uh, we have uh, uh, Lisa Cherry and her husband testimonial. Uh, it's lengthy. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into it. Is John her husband? Is that what this is? Yes. John is 71. Let's hear what he has to say. Uh, I've been married most of my life. Sex has been painful for her. We mutually decided to stop six or seven years ago. She got pellet treatment in March. It became apparent that I could not keep up and was having a problem with ED. I was pelleted in May of 2019, uh, and uh, my testosterone was 208 after pellets 1100. I'm more energetic. I'm feeling better. We are much more active in bed, enjoying sex more than I ever have. It's been really great for Lisa. Thanks for your help, John Riley. And then Lisa Cherry's testimonial was on the same. Uh, she was having vaginal dryness, which is from the estrogen deficiency. Right. Uh, and she got interested in it. She had almost immediate results, uh, immediate libido. I didn't tell John for a couple of weeks since it was so strong a difference. It was scary, which is really interesting. That That's that's a common thing. I had hormones uh, of a 20-year-old. I didn't know what a surprise it would be for John to go from nothing to this. Uh, and then we did with, dealt with the ED problem. She goes on. Um, I realized now that my hormones were never right, and now they are too bad. I had wasted 40 years of pain. So there is that, that wasted time right. story. Just wanted to add, after the initial palleting, I felt completely better emotionally, too, since the first procedure. This overall great feeling of well-being almost positivizes, whatever that means. I feel a great feeling. I do also feel sexy and attractive, although I do have a body of a – I do not have the body of a 25-year-old. Um, there are risks, side effects, I'm sure. I worried about getting cancer, but the data on this seems to say it's a low risk. You never know. We've talked about that so far here. Uh, if you'd like to have John, well, he wants they want to come in and talk about their fun together in the bed. So, <laughs> so probably leave that. So good for them. But uh, but it, it is interesting to me how much uh, I was very involved back in the day when the antidepressant therapies were causing a big drop in libido and nobody was addressing it, right. and I was seeing it all over the place. And I went out on a campaign to address it, and there was resistance. There was resistance. People didn't believe it. I saw relationships getting destroyed. I mean, and, and with antidepressants, it can really shut down, even worse than what we're talking about here. Um, and oftentimes, now in retrospect, some of those women were on antidepressants because of this. So, and they never looked at their hormones. Right. So we have a double whammy, which is we are causing a problem that is destroying relationships. We are not treating a problem that could potentially destroy relationships. And that was, that was, it's been deeply bothersome to me for 
25 years. And what's even interesting, most studies using SSRIs or antidepressants yeah. long-term yeah. increase your risk for fracture. So we should be interested in osteoporosis. We should be interested in hip fracture because we know what it does to family members, right? Yeah. And yet we leave, I mean, maybe somebody needed an antidepressant for a divorce or something in the short run, but we forget about it and we just leave them on and we yeah. wonder why their quality of life is terrible, why they keep gaining weight, why in the end they're going to wind up with osteoporosis. So interesting. Pressure. So you were saying even with somebody properly diagnosed with a major depressive disorder uh, on proper therapy, they also should be considered for these kinds of therapies because there are side effects of the medicines that, that make that all significant. Well, uh, I feel like we've, we've covered the landscape. We've said about all there is to say. Is there anything more? I guess my, my interest would be on um, – pushback or resistance from our peers? Are, are you dealing with any of that? Yeah, we're dealing with it uh, a lot. That's one of the reasons we're actually doing a validation study where we, we've got a questionnaire we use for women and one for men. It's 20 questions to determine because patients always say, well, how do I know if I'm a candidate for BioT? And we ask, just answer these 20 questions. You can do them online or we can do them in the office and we can determine who's a candidate, whether it's premenopausal or menopausal. And for men, andropause or that testosterone deficiency in the 30s, if you are a candidate then we'll look at your, your blood work. So they're like, well, my, my doctor, he's not too keen on pellet therapy. And it's mostly because he doesn't know. But physicians, if they're not and, up on but, something, they're down on but, it. And, 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 that's interesting. <laughs> but but as, as we've told you, the landscape was very confusing. And you're talking to two people that had a certain take on it, probably from the beginning for you. I know it was for me. And so we have our point of view, uh, but that's what makes science, right? It's you know, one of us. One of us is see- we're all seeking the truth. One of us is getting it. I may not be us. I'm, I'm prepared to accept that science may tell us someday that there's something wrong with what we're doing. My hunch has always been this is the right approach, and it still is. Yeah, and I think part of the pushback, too, is from some of the societies that are out there. You know, American College of OBGYN that should be a champion for women's health care, that should look at the literature. Because if knowledge is power, if you don't look at the literature, you kind of render yourself powerless. And if you're just going to... I understand their their I'm hesitancy sighing. with with um, I'm, I'm sorry because well because our professional societies are staid old organizations exactly. that won't take a position until it's really clear there's a standard of care that they can get behind, and we're, this is not there yet. It, it may soon be there, but and I hope it does get there because again my hunch is this is the right thing. Um, but we'll that's see. what we're working we'll on. To get we'll it, do we want it to be standard of care, but we want it to be mainstream. Well, it, it, standard will mainstream it. I mean, the standard is the standard because it's the best. And right. the, how things become the standard is a little more complicated. So, and that's what you're that fighting for. That is the for. challenge. That's, that's what you're fighting for. Exactly. Well, listen, we appreciate uh, Dr. Donovitz. I uh, do have one Oh, question. wait a minute. The patient has a question. Let's well, go. Well, it's not related to me. but oh, shocking. I've heard that it's great with PTSD for men. Oh, we were going to talk about it. it's also great yeah, yeah. with uh, yeah. opioid, okay. opioid. So, so I want, I want to, I want to. This is going to take a little bit. This is another piece I forgot to get to, and thank you for triggering me. You're welcome. So, um, <laughs> let's do with the addiction piece first, okay? Because PTSD, I, I, I mean, PTSD for me is a complex neurobiological state, and if you're improving the overall state of the body, you know, neuro neuro body is one instrument, it's one uh, system, right? Right. And if the neuro is out of whack because of PTSD. 
it makes perfect sense to me that if you're de- dealing with the neurohormonal humoral piece on top of it, you'll help the PTSD. Is that essentially the story? We should actually just talk about both of these together, if you don't mind. Addiction and PTSD? Yes. I'll show you why. Let me show you why. All right. Because I, I just finished a study on PTSD. So for me, it's, I, I'll get you in the weeds on this quick, so go ahead. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't mind. I mean, right, the challenge right. will be fun. So here's what we did on PTSD, we, and we only did so, it. We, so we so wanted, I'm going to have to stop you. How did you define PTSD? What was the population? What? So we actually used the questionnaires for PTSD, the is, ones that- Acute PTSD, chronic PTSD, chronic PTSD. Chronic PTSD. So, this, so was this childhood trauma survivors? No, no. There's only it, only one subset. These were all veterans, veterans. that came back okay. from war. So these so were we, we these didn't were, do athletes with concussions or any of that. These were these were acute trauma survivors as adults. Okay, exactly. Yeah. And so we do it the questionnaire as well as the depression questionnaire. And these were people that came to us who couldn't work. They yeah. were disabled. Yeah. They were on pain medicine. They were on antidepressants, and their lives changed. And we have great testimonials from these video and and and, and regular testimonials because. Because this is where the crossover occurred. In people who are on opioids, that actually, and we train so many pain management doctors. When they come in, they're like, why are you even here in a hormone class? And the yeah. reason is people who are on chronic pain medication have the highest number of hypogonadism. They're the, they're right. the subset of people who have the lowest testosterone levels right. of everybody, whether it's AIDS or diabetes right. or so, obesity. So opiates through the dopaminergic system shuts down hormonal cycling. Exactly. Completely shuts it all up in men and women. Um, but men get hypogonadism for sure. Exactly. And so what we did was in those people, what we want to do is we can improve blood flow through the blood-brain barrier. We can improve, we can improve opioid binding at the receptor site. We can reduce the amount of opioids that they need. But here's the thing. 85% of the people that are on chronic pain pills or chronic pain medication have those symptoms that we talked about. They're tired. They don't have any sex drive. They can't sleep at night. They're gaining weight. So if you could improve the quality of life for them and actually reduce the amount of opioids that they need, you're going to help those pain management physicians manage their pain better. And we're able to do that. Let, so, let, me, let, me, let me put a little caveat on it. There's a, a great place to a great population to look at is the ones that are just starting out because they will never go on the higher dose then, and that's the group you want to capture. Okay? That'd be great. Yeah, number one. But but number two, I say it all the time, opiates are not a treatment for chronic pain. That the pain, If your pain doctor still has you on opiates chronically, high dose, get out of there. I, I All I do is take people off opiates every day, and their pain goes away. Now, when they get off, they're still hypogonad, right. they, and they still need treatment on, on your side, so I have no problem with that at all. And the better they feel, the more the process of getting people off opiates the better it is so I, i'm all the more it. opiates they take the worse their pain gets in the long run 100 percent, and and it's counterintuitive i know that and the patients will fight you on it but i'm telling you having done it thousands of times all you gotta do is get them off the opiates and they may require other kinds of pain management strategies and ways to enhance their general well-being which we're offering you one right here but um i i just cannot speak more more aggressively about that now on the on the addiction side generally uh, it is intriguing to me that a population that I've been – well, there's a couple of populations I've become increasingly interested in. So I, so my history was dealing with the, the very, 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 very severely polydiagnosed, multiple psychiatric problems, multiple medical problems, multiple polydrug users. I, when everyone else was done with them, I, I, I got them. And, and so that's true, 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 true addiction. The hard case. Yeah, hardcore true addiction. The groups that I've been interested in lately is A, non-addicted opioid users, which our profession has made a ton of, that when you just get them off the opiates, they're just better. <laughs> they just It all goes away. That's not addiction. Right. That's dependency that we created. And I'm sure that group would be helped by opiate replacement. But the group I'm really interested in is the sort of um, uh, 
burgeoning addiction, people that haven't lost control yet. So there's a lot of people in the world that have the biological potential, the genetic potential they're using, but they haven't lost control. And I want that population to not lose control. Uh, to kind of, if they're going to keep using, fine, but they're going to have to do it in a way that is very low level. And in order for them to do that, they they need to be not motivated to feel better all the time, right? That's a lot of what fuels the addiction in the right. in the early phases. They're trying to feel better. They're miserable. They're whatever. They have PTSD. They have whatever. They they're trying to feel better. It makes sense to me that right there, there could be another target population to be very very effectively treated with this kind of thing. Yeah, I never even thought about that. Yeah. We, that's yeah. a great population. Yeah. And also, yeah. when you think about the professional athletes that are out there, we need to be part of the story early because when you take people who've had multiple concussions but are not being told, you know your risk for chronic encephalopathy Well, that is, is a huge. really interesting – I've never even thought about that, but that, that you've yeah. got to study that because, that, man, if you, if right. you really impact that population – we need to get there early. Oof, that'll be amazing, a big, a big story. So what he's saying is, get to these, you know, the high school football players, even with uh, multiple concussions, and maybe there's something with their t- testosterone metabolism. Can they reduce it from, prevent it from going to CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy? But think about the- all the high school athletes that parents put them on anabolic steroids we don't need to really go there but it's a bad thing it's but then their thing. testosterone level is super low when they get so off. they're at risk for heart disease they're at risk yeah, for chronic encephalopathy and then they're getting concussions while, while they're on the hormones or when they get off or both well but it's going to take their testicles out yeah no so, no i understand so, but but what i'm asking is does the anabolic androgenic steroid cover for the low testosterone while they're taking no, it no no because it what doesn't. happens uh, anabolic steroids cause vasoconstriction uh-huh. they actually decrease the function of the myocardium or the heart muscle oh that's interesting and so here's the thing uh-huh. yes you've bulked them up for football season but now they've had concussions now their testosterone has go- is going to go to zero. very low yeah, levels zero, in, yeah. the, in the in the in the double digits so now you have someone who's hypogonad and on the go forward what's going to protect their brain they've lost the one especially males the one hormone that protects the male brain is testosterone they yeah. have none and they have concussions and, and, and I will I will reiterate something I said earlier in this program was that um, you know the prostate cancer patients have uh, advanced prostate cancer patients get this thing called androgen receptor blockade they get things to decrease their testosterone they they essentially uh, uh, castrate them essentially biologically exactly. or otherwise uh, and now they're seeing in these populations of men, and I knew this from while ago because I saw it happen a couple of times, they get dementia rapidly as soon as they go on these androgen blockades. I know that would be me. I have no doubt in my mind that would be that would be my deal. And now you should know there's, they're trying to come up with uh, these enzalutamide-like drugs, which right. is the androgen blockade that doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier. That's the new that, – that's coming. So, that's coming. Well, they're using enzalutamide now in metastatic prostate cancer yeah. because it blocks the receptor. And, and it perfectly. works. And it, it works. works. Yeah, it decreases the, the risk of dying, and but it's increasing the risk of these other problems. And that's always the confusing part for the urologist. It's like, wait a minute, you're saying testosterone will treat prostate cancer and prevent prostate cancer because there's good studies to show that. But then when I block testosterone and metastatic and they get better what do you say about that well yeah. there is a subset of prostate cancers just like breast cancers yeah. where testosterone will stimulate the tumor to grow yeah. that's a very small subset so yeah. let's not let's not just worry about the small subset when the majority of people would be better off on testosterone have a lower risk for prostate cancer and if someone like you is going to get prostate cancer it would be a it would be a less aggressive tumor and uh, let me just say uh, pcf.org if you want information about prostate cancer cancerpcf.org. You can read more about that issue there. There's something else I wanted to say about the prostate cancer story. It isn't coming to me now, damn it. 
Oh, well, gone. That's I, if I were testosterone, I probably would have remembered. So, <laughs> Peace out, but, drop the mic. But that's, but that's, I know. Uh, listen, I, I'm aware of it. I, I am aware of it that it, it is, you know, a, a thing, and I, I know I'd be improved with it. There's no doubt in my mind. But we were talking earlier about how if you're in your 70s or 80s, why not just take the testosterone and be happy? Well, that's a, so. So this is something that Dr. Donovitz brought up earlier, which is you're going to die of something else. And if you're in your 80s, you're really going to die of something else. Uh, don't worry about the prostate cancer. So, to your point, that she, you would agree with what she just said. Absolutely. In fact, the American Urologic Association last year changed the recommendations for PCL, PC, uh, for PSA testing. They don't even test after uh, age sixty nine. It's complicated, but yes, yes, that's, that's well, true. That's their, that's that's true. their position. That's statement. their position. Would, they're, you, they're, would you agree? That's it's their, their position. position. They're going to change it, but do I, you should know. I, I know what I was going to say is I'm deep <laughs> in the weeds on prostate cancer. And and uh, I'm involved in all these kinds of uh, position papering that they're getting out, both on the medicine side and on the you know the, the task force side and the urological side. It's all over the place. Urology is gener- better. Generally, generally, their recommendations are better and more aggressive. Number one, but number two, the other thing I was going to say is that I'm also in the weeds on the biology of prostate tumors. And it is complicated. When you get downstream from the antigen receptor and talk about the different genetic mechanisms of the tumors, it gets so complicated so fast. So to your point, there's different kinds of tumors out there. Exactly. So finish what you were saying about the Urology Association. I interrupted you. Well, no. So they know, too, that as you get older, your chances for an aggressive prostate cancer are less, which was really my whole point. We Mm -hmm. we could debate the screening for hours, but there's no point. So where I'm going with that is... And certainly the risk of dying of prostate cancer is way down. Way down. So if you you have an 80-year-old parent or you have a yeah. 90-year-old grandparent and they say, well, would you pellet them? I absolutely would. I mean, my mom's 85, double breast cancer survivor. Why would I not <laughs> want her to feel well? You have her so, on it? Pardon me? Should you have her on it? Yes. Oh, so because of that, her, her quality of life is better. So when people ask me, well, how old is too old? Well, it's whenever you don't want to feel well, because as soon as you don't take the therapy, as soon as you don't optimize your hormones, you won't feel as well as you could. So really, the the bottom line is, why not feel your best no matter what your age? That's all I'm saying. Well, I'm taking it to my grave. I'm sorry. Yeah, she's on it no matter what. Uh, the book again, Age Healthier, Live Happier. Check out that if you want more information. Also, the website, biot.org. Biotmedical.com. Biotmedical.com. B-I-O-T-E medical.com. Testosterone, I would have noticed that. See, I would have picked that up if I were <laughs> okay. testosterone. All right, everybody, we thank you for being here. Thank you. If you have more questions, go ahead over to drdrew.com. Don't forget our friends at uh, Social CBD. Go to drdrew.com for all the latest podcasts, uh, the YouTube channel shows. Don't forget After Dark. Uh, thank you to uh, those of you, to Michelle and to Caleb for setting up the new po- the new studio here, Caleb Nation. Um, uh, and uh, if you guys like it, Michelle Poe is also uh, extremely important in terms of setting up the uh, overall look and feel of this thing and finding the table and thank you Michelle for this plan <laughs> as well uh, uh, she's been amazing free and, hormones for her and, later and she's made pl- playroom pods which is our little our little thing here seemed like a professional operation both you guys Caleb and Nate Nate have a great time in DC as well we appreciate we're all gonna the years miss of, Nate all the years support Nate has given us behind the scene here support our show support the sponsors this is a playroom pods production courtesy of Susan Pinsky our producer we'll see you next time All right, that's about it for this episode of This Life. Thanks for listening and subscribing on your favorite platforms. Rate us five stars and tell a friend. Also, be sure to visit drdrew.com for the latest news. We'll tell you where you can find all of our health-related content. So go to drdrew.com. Please tell a friend, and we thank you for it. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.